There's been a number of developments lately on the government front that potentially affects the privacy of patient data. That includes the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT stepping up efforts to encourage more health data sharing among healthcare providers nationally, the 21st Century Cures Bill, which proposes to make it easier for healthcare entities to use and disclose patient data for medical research purposes, and also some healthcare organizations calling upon Congress to lift restrictions on the federal government to create a unique patient identifier for individuals nationwide. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Deborah Peel, founder of the privacy advocacy group Patient Privacy Rights. Deborah will be discussing the privacy issues that concern her the most about these various efforts around health data sharing and use. So now, Deborah, for starters, there's various proposals being considered in the federal government these days related to health data privacy. What items worry you the most and why? All of them. It's more of the same old, same old kinds of measures that are being proposed to increase the spread and hidden use of our most personal data. In other words, to eliminate any control that we have over our most sensitive data. It's more of the same. That's what industry wants, and it's nothing for the public. I guess you could describe really all of the three things that we're going to be talking about, you know, the problems with interoperability of data, the uh, 21st Century Cures Bill, which makes research a healthcare operations, and the retrograde calls to create a national patient identifier are all, in effect, proposals to solve today's problems with yesterday's technology. We're heading down the wrong path and this is more of the same. All of them really are evidence of government and industry's incredible pressure to open up access to commercial use for health information. This doesn't have anything to do with research and cures. The problems really are that these solutions absolutely don't work, and if you talk with the nation's top computer scientists, they continue to put us in more and more danger of not only hidden data sales, but data breaches, because the kind of technology and architecture we have is designed to produce problems forever, serious, serious problems, loss of privacy and loss of security, and that's not what we need from Congress or industry or the nation's leaders. So now, Deb, with the billions of dollars that have been spent on the High Tech Act Meaningful Use Program for EHR adoption, Congress has been putting more pressure on the ONC over the last year or so to push for secure, interoperable health data exchange nationwide. Do you think that secure nationwide health data exchange is even achievable, and why? There is no secure, interoperable exchange that's achievable in the manner using the kind of technologies we have now and what's being proposed. First, we have to say the whole reason that interoperability and meaningful use failed is it has nothing to do with patients' rights to control their own data and what patients want. Meaningful use is just government's way to try to force the corporate data holders to cough up patients' records for treatment. And as it happens, 
because of the 2002 change that HHS made in HIPAA, patients were no, long, no longer had to be asked for their consent to move their data. The assumption was this would free up data for treatment, make it more accessible to the next doctor that treats you. That was the assumption, that the data holders wouldn't provide, you know, any kind of friction. They wouldn't block. They wouldn't do data blocking. But by taking away patient control over their own information, what HHS did was essentially hand over control of all of our records to the institutions that hold them, the data holders. And the data holders believe now that our health information is their corporate asset. Why would they ever share corporate assets unless they were paid? So we've gone from a system where there was no problem with interoperability other than however fast faxes were or um, one doctor could call another or older records could be put in the mail. But if you think about interoperability in the paper age, it happened because the patient directed it. You, Marianne, have been seeing Dr. Jones, and now you need to see Dr. Smith. You call Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones sends the information or communicates it orally to Dr. Smith, and there you have it, interoperability. Think about it. The model of interoperability in the past was physicians taking care of patients. That was why data was exchanged. Now, neither the physicians nor the patients are the ones that at the center and driving this process. So ironically, we have a system that works against the very best medical care. Can I have your permission to contact your prior physicians to get your record? It's part of actually diagnosing and getting to know you. And so this was automatic in the paper age. As I said, is it instantaneous like pushing a button? No, but the information got there. So the promise of electronic health information was supposed to be to help with treatment, not to create massive hidden business models where people are using your data for purposes we really don't even know about. Today there's 100,000 health data suppliers in the United States because we don't have to be asked for permission to use our data. And these data suppliers cover 780,000 live daily data feeds to create massive millions of hidden databases of our information that are neither known to us nor accessible to us. So this system that we have today where the data holders essentially are being given free reign to do whatever we want with our data have created. Whenever you create uh, databases that have many people's information in it, detailed information, record systems with 100,000 or 2.5 million people's records. You know, in Austin, Texas here, we have two major hospital chains, and they each have records on about 2.5 million people. So you create an, attra an attraction first for hackers, and security becomes very, very difficult in hospitals, as you know, because typically in the hospitals here, there are seven to 10,000 employees, all of whom have access to every patient record. So we have these systems with, if you will, seven to 10,000 potentially weak links that can get millions of people's data. And outside, you have the hackers as well, hackers and thieves. So we've created a situation where our absolutely most sensitive information is at the greatest risk of all personal information. 
And on top of that, as Congress has woken up and found out, your doctors are not getting the information they need. That was the whole purpose, supposedly, of an electronic system, to get the information to you faster wherever you were. And it's failed miserably and created a, a giant industry of hidden data users and sellers. What do you think of the 21st Century Cures Bill's proposals that make it potentially easier for patient data to be shared by healthcare organizations for medical research by basically changing the HIPAA privacy rule? What worries you the most? Well, it's absolutely more of the same. But as a practicing physician, I can tell you the medical record is is essential for me to uh, be able to recall and know and make special note of the things about you that I'm trying to help you with. The point of the medical record system is supposed to be to help the physician take better care of you. That's the way it was in paper. Okay, but we all know that that's not the way it is with electronic health records. In fact, they can be enormously complex. They introduce whole new sets of errors. And uh, worse than that, they can actually make it very hard for physicians to find the important information about you. So we have these tools, these electronic health records that actually weren't designed to help your doctor take better care of you. They're designed for billing and for research. But who goes to the doctor to join endless numbers of hidden quote-unquote research projects? I, I don't know anyone like that. You know, a few people, you know, maybe have some uh, terrible rare disease there's certain shock situations where people have horrible diseases, pancreatic cancer, uh, breast cancer, and they want research. But no one starts to go to a doctor for the purpose of research. No one. Absolutely we need research, and technology could do it in a fantastic way. But our architecture and this plan that the government and industry are, are pushing actually will not work. The architecture we have for our healthcare system will not produce the research we want. It, it can't because it doesn't scale over millions of patients. So we, we really need a rethink where individuals keep their own health data encrypted, doubly encrypted. It could be on a cell phone. It could be on, uh, you know, an external kind of hard drive. It could be in a cloud that you trust. But where individuals have their data and researchers Again, we do want researchers, but we have every right to know who they are and what the research is about and to give consent to participate in it. So if every individual had their information, then researchers could query millions of us instantly and ask to run the questions on our data, which because we were keeping it would be up to the, to the minute even, and get the kind of research that we want. So what I'm talking about is, is the architecture for the system doesn't work for research. It, it cannot work for, for research because it requires static uh, dead databases, not live up-to-date ones that only you can keep. And, and the point of having individuals control their most sensitive data is all of a sudden the targets for hacking and the opportunities to misuse personal health information go away. The data theft people have noticed that medical records are everywhere, 
and they're not secure, and people can get into them, and they're also sold. So now, Deb, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME, an organization of healthcare CIOs, recently urged Congress to reconsider its long ban on the development of a national unique patient identifier. CHIME, as well as some other proponents of a unique patient identifier, argued that a unique patient ID would facilitate secure national health information exchange and also keep patients safer by ensuring that data is being added to the correct patient's file. What do you think of the prospects for a national unique patient identifier? What concerns you most when it comes to patient privacy? This, in particular, is an absolute example of of what I opened with. It's using yesterday's technology. In fact, it's using last century technology that has been rejected by the public um, since it was first introduced. The idea of national UD patient ID is exactly the same as the rationale for a social security number. That was only sold to the public because it was to be used for one purpose. And what happened to your social security number? It's used as a national ID everywhere, and it allows all kinds of people to collect information about you from everywhere. National IDs actually allow other people to gather lots of information about you because you are uniquely identified. This in particular is is a key way to talk about IDs. First of all, from the very beginning in the 30s, the public roundly rejected them because they knew that it would be used in ways that would not work, that would make things worse for them, and and certainly they are. I mean, what does Social Security have to do with your doctor's office where you're required to give it to them as proof of your identity? It, it, that's not the purpose it's supposed to be used for. In fact, I think it's against the law to do that, but everybody asks for this ID all the time. In healthcare, the effects are going to be the same. The public has always rejected these things because they're rightly suspicious of having to carry an an ID everywhere they go. National IDs, real IDs, all of these things are terrible concepts. What we need are new cyber credentials. This is tomorrow's technology. It's being worked on by NIST. It's being worked on by IDESG. And the idea of a cyber credential is it could be a card, for example, the size of a credit card, or a driver's license, but it doesn't blast your information everywhere. The problem with a driver's license is everything's right there for everyone to see. The premise of a cyber credential is all kinds of facts about you, attributes from your age to where you live, perhaps political party you vote in, a whole slew of details can be put on a cyber credential but not revealed unless they were needed for a particular transaction. So you can see that give you a very simple example. It's kind of funny, but if if you had a cyber credential and you want to look at porn on the Internet, your credential would simply say you're a person over whatever age, 18, 21. Not your sex, not your name, not your address, not your phone number, not your credit card, nothing. So the point of a cyber credential is to protect privacy and identity by only confirming the things that are needed for a particular transaction. So, for example, when you go to pick up a prescription at a pharmacy, 
you know, you really don't need a credential, except in rare circumstances where you might be taking a controlled substance. But for the most part, if you walk in and say, hey, I'm Deborah, or hey, I'm Marianne, I came to pick up my prescription, they give it to you. In the case of controlled substances, you might have to provide some sort of ID to make sure it was actually going to you. So for voting even, I mean, the cyber credential could be very useful for voting. It could have on there your exact residence, county, and your state. And so it would make possible online voting. It, would, it wouldn't have to be who you are. It would just be that you are a registered voter at this particular location this particular year. So if you begin to think about credentials in that way, that's the kind of thing that we need in healthcare. And, and in terms of the national ID, again, going back to the architecture of the system, because we have a system that's architected all wrong, really, for research and for privacy, we, we, just, we really have to move to 21st century IDs. They are not unique patient identifiers that simply serve to blow more information, allow others to aggregate information about us without our knowing, and so forth. We need to be the ones that decide who, who gets to aggregate our most personal information. Thanks, Deb. I've been speaking to Dr. Deborah Peel. I'm Marianne Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.